I learned. Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there MJ Network, MJ Network in memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce, and that was Trinity House Entertainment.inc, and I'm so excited because they're going to come on with some more of their beautiful music on August 4th, but we have the author of Through a Sober Lens, this book is really great, I love the photography, I love the pictures, and Michael Blanchard, welcome to MJ Network, I'm so glad you're doing this. Hi, Fran, and I'm so happy that you asked me to, to come come here, come on board here to talk about the book, and I know we were just talking a minute ago about trying to stay cool in this incredible heat, but, um, uh, <laughs> you know, it could, be, it could be snowing out, okay? <laughs> yeah, so what made you decide to share this book with everyone, and what made you, I, I was so impressed with your story that you stopped drinking, I don't drink ever, coffee's my drink, people, so what made you decide to stop drinking? And tell us about the policeman that arrested you actually put you on the right track, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I, I didn't have any choice but to stop drinking. I know sometimes I, I started openly writing about this about about uh, seven or eight years ago. And I was pulled rather than pushed. I never had as a goal to talk about alcoholism or sobriety or even take pictures. And it just mm. ended up, you know, sometimes you're attracted to where you're supposed to be if you listen and um and so i i went down i i was one of those alcoholics that gradually rehearsed and practiced for 35 years until it all collapsed mm-hmm. i was a marathon runner and so i was in exceptionally good shape and uh eventually the endorphins weren't enough and i had to switch over to the to the vodka and the wine and so on um but in the end um i was running a large company in maine I had a thousand employees, and I had just started there, and I was only into the position for six months. And of course, on the interview process, I didn't let them know that I was really in the end stages of alcoholism, and um, and I was arrested three times in three months for drunk driving uh, after I had been there only six months. And uh, the last arrest was I decided Xanax was going to be able to get me off the alcohol, so I. I went online and I bought 300 Xanax over at some Canadian pharmacy, and I decided I would take the Xanax and then I'd get off the alcohol. But I, I now I know how that works. And you end up taking both, and you know I had ended up having a complete blackout. Um, mm. A police officer, state police, um, found me asleep at the off the highway on the side of the road with the car running, and when they rapped on the window, I took off. And um, all I remember is waking up in the emergency department with my wrists all numb from the handcuffs. And my car was all dented up because I ran over street signs. And apparently a, mm. a number of state police tracked me down. And and you asked a question about the police. And I just remember, you know, when you write, 
um, things mm-hmm. come to your head that are just really you just don't make sense to you, but are pretty amazing. And one mm-hmm. of them was there was this big tall state trooper. He was like six six or something. And I remember I woke up in the emergency department and he was sitting right <laughs> right next to my bed. And I had mm-hmm. no idea what had happened. And I looked up and he smiled at me. And he wasn't like, you know, you awful person, you whatever. He he actually treated me, I don't know, he, I think he felt bad, sorry for me, or he treated me with respect. He had a smile on his face and he was kind to me. And, um, you know, I, I, I write about this all the time that, you know, I don't think you or I know as we go about our day that simple gestures, um, simple things can yeah. make such a difference in somebody's life. And um, as much as I hated the police officers for the improbable arrests, um, I now know that they were my angels. And, in fact, I would have probably killed somebody else uh, in, an ar- in a car accident or killed myself if it wasn't for those three for those three gentlemen. And you're going to laugh at this, but I just did a cross-country trip across. I did an 8,000-mile cross-country trip across, uh, wow. to take photos and to write. And I was passing through Nevada, and I have PTSD over blue lights. <laughs> and I'm, dri- I'm driving along in this police, and this, all of a sudden I see blue lights and sirens going. And I said, oh, my God. And I pull over to the side of the road, and this was in Nevada. And I accidentally, I didn't see that the speed limit dropped from 75 to 45. And mm. he understood that. <laughs> but he understood that. He pulled me over, and he said, you're from Massachusetts. And I said, yeah. He says, you didn't see the drop in the speed limit, did you? And I said, no. He says, I knew that because if you were just trying to just speed, you would probably be going 60 to try to get over the 45. So he says, I'm going to just give you a warning. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I promise every police officer, hopefully I don't get to see many of you, um, but if I ever had a chance to encounter a police officer, I was going to tell you to your face that um, you guys in that profession saved my life. And I made a vow, um, and I told him, I said I had been arrested three times for drunk driving about 11 years ago, and I promised to thank every police officer because I know you sometimes have thankless jobs, and I want you to know that because of what you did, there was one person that made, uh, made good, and I, I wanted you to know that. And um, he looked at me, and he said that he had arrested a man uh, a short while uh, before, um, who had gotten in a car accident and the people in the other car were killed. And he said oh, that, 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 that that man's life is over. And I said, well, thank you for sharing, but I want you to know there are some, there are some positive stories. And he looked at me and he said, all right, he said, keep up the good work, patted me on the shoulder and he said, watch your speed. And he left. <laughs> you were, you were so, really, really, really blessed. I'll tell you because the police get really a bad rap. And I know that the police up here are very tough, and I don't know if they would have done that, to be honest. I don't know. And they may not have. No, I know. No, I might I not. I don't know. They're, they're, they're kind of tough. But you had they, you, they sent you to rehab, and that's hard because you see stories on television and whatever, and it seems as if the people at rehab really cared because they sent goals. So how would you describe your time there? And then when you left, you were basically not free. You had to do mentor people, which I was totally impressed with. Yeah, the, the rehab, I, my sister actually accompanied me on the plane to go down to Atlanta uh, from mm-hmm. Massachusetts, and she knew I wasn't going to. She knew if there was a chance that I could get off the plane and go run away somewhere, mm-hmm. I probably would. So 
she she brought me and then handed me off to the to the people from the rehab who came to the airport and then she jumped back on the next plane and went back to back to uh, to New England and they it was just torturous it was agony and it's funny you asked this because I just I post on social media and today mm-hmm. I I posted a picture about rehab and mm-hmm. how I feel such nostalgia um, and. Um, to the point where I almost just feel like I, I want to go back there because it was a it was a place that even though you know isn't it funny how people like if you think back 30 years you may have been in a difficult situation but we often put behind us the real negatives of what we were in the middle of in because mm-hmm. it came out favorable you tend to focus on the positives right and I it was literally agony in rehab because I had three months and. I had prosecutors and attorneys. Um, I was worried my job was going to disappear. My wife at the time was in real pain, and she was really threatening to leave on any given day. And, you know, basically my world was over, and I had to somehow focus and concentrate on trying to get better with all of those things. The insurance company kept threatening to cancel any more coverage, and it was just, you know, I, I, it was just it was agony in the beginning. But what I tell people is that if you're willing to participate, it was the first time ever in my life that I actually developed true friendships. Um, the men that were in the same apartment complex with me, it was the first time I could speak with another man about something personal. Mm. Um, it, was, it was the first time that I felt like I was in the presence of people who weren't going to judge me, and they understood me, and mm. they, you know, they, they were just like me. And... And we were able to share the deepest pains of our past, and um, and it was it, it really truly was the the power of healing overcame the power of self destruction. And I just wrote mm-hmm. something on I on Facebook this morning. I have fifty five thousand people on my Facebook page, and I I just felt the need to thank Talbot down in Atlanta again because I feel such an affinity for that place because it was because it was the place where I healed and I realized I had some self-worth mm. um, and when you for the first time in your life actually feel like see what what happens when you talk about rehab rehab we hear mm. about rehab 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 most of them are 28 days they bring people in they get them sober they try to talk about getting them initiated in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and then they kick them back out again. And it's a it's a revolving door for many people. With the three months, um, the last 30 days, we were turned into volunteers to help new patients coming in. Mm. And I actually went to the airport and helped families come in where they were as scared to death as I was when I first started. And in the end, um, those people that I just sat with while they were being admitted and spent the day with and and just listened to, they stood up in the end and they said, you know, Michael um, Blanchard um, was the most important person in my recovery here at the rehab. And I would look and say, what? How How can that be? I just, I just sat with you and your family when you came in for the first eight hours while you were being admitted. And they would say, because that was when we were in our greatest pain, confusion, and fear. And you sat there for eight hours, and you shared that you were, you were making it through and gave us hope that we could make it through too. And 
And that when they said that about me, it was the first time in my life that I felt like I really can help other people and I have value in this life. And when you, anywhere you are, I mean, anywhere you go and you come to that mm. knowing or realization, that place becomes sacred to you for the rest of your life. And so Talbot, I'm not, I'm not, there's no commercials for a rehab here. I, I just, Talbot happened to be the place that I went to in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's like my healing place. Um, and I feel such fondness, even though if you asked me what it was like when I was there, it was gut-wrenching agony and pain working through all of it. But sometimes you've got to go down before you come back up again. Oh, without a, without a doubt, I agree with you. I mean, the stories that you wrote about how you help people and stuff, better than Alcoholics Anonymous, much better. A much better way to teach you how to, I mean, you should, you could be a spokesman for this too, to help people. I worry because I see young kids, um, when I go into the Bronx, I see young kids on the street with bottles. I see, you know, men sitting in front of stores with bottles, and I go like, it's too bad they don't have any help. It's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. And it truly is. High a lot schools of especially is where it starts. Um, ninth grade, 10th grade, it starts there. It's, it's scary. I mean, I was you know, lucky because it even I worked starts. Even before. Go ahead. It starts even before. If you see your parents drink, they figure you can too. Why not? Do you know that I, I so I take my message into the schools here, and I went mm-hmm. and I spoke in front of a fifth, a fifth grade class um, at one of the public schools, and they, they invited me in to try to get, I, I take pictures and I attach words because if you attach words to a picture, the picture mm-hmm. and the words take on added power than either the words mm-hmm. or the photo alone. And so they wanted me to come in and talk about, they were trying to get trash off the beaches, so they took pictures of, tra- of trash. And the mm-hmm. teacher said, you know, Mike, you can, can you tell us how you attach words to actually move people? Because the kids want to write words about what their pictures are. And I did. And, and then halfway through what my presentation, a little kid raised their hand and said, how did you become a photographer? And I yeah, looked at the teacher and said, should I really, yeah, should I really stay, say this? And she nodded her head yes, and I said to the kids, there was like 20 of them in the class, and I, and I said, I, um, I almost didn't make it because of alcoholism. I, I almost died because of it. And, um, and when the kids heard me admit to that, they, the hands went flying up in the room. They started asking. One kid says, how much is okay for my mom and dad to drink when they come home at night um, from work? And, uh, and then I, and then someone said, then the kid said, what is, what was the hardest time of the day for you when you stopped drinking? And I said, it's when I used to come home from work and I used to have to try Mm -hmm. to make it through the evening without drinking. And Mm -hmm. almost every kid in the class's head started nodding because that's what they see at home and they don't understand it. And, and, and that's where they're. And so when they had me for those five minutes, they couldn't stop asking me questions because it confuses kids, you know, that, of that age. And, and the kids are smart, though, and, and they're looking for answers. Yeah, and, yeah, and I realized in that moment that, you know, I can, just by being open and authentic, that's all it takes. It doesn't take anything magical. Just tell the truth. Tell, you know, be, not be afraid to admit who you are. And then you can be a resource to help people. Like, you know, because a lot of the kids are starting to drink at 8 to 10 years old. Um, I know. And, it, and it's bad. You know, it's bad. They're latchkey kids, because I taught for 36 years in a public school. And 
the best thing that they ever put in the public schools, well, now I don't think they do anything very well, is the after-school programs, because most of the parents didn't get home until 5, 6 o'clock. And kids that were home by themselves, you never knew what they were going to get into. And if parents yeah. left liquor bottles, yeah, I, I knew. I could tell right away. And they couldn't hide it from me because they knew the queen of whatever could tell right away when you were up to something and you were no good. So the after-school programs, you know, especially the tough ones, I made sure they got in. Not because of me and because I could handle them. I mean, we, we, I mean, we even had incentive programs. I even took my friend who died. I miss him. We took kids bowling after school. That was insane. We did. And they were really good. We took. We started out with 10. We ended up with 50 going to the bowling center and walking in a, t- in a tough neighborhood. And they would say, oh, my God, these kids are great. Come again. I mean, you can make an impression. You're right. So how did you decide yeah. what pictures to put in? Because I, the, I, I couldn't stop looking at the pictures, especially the one of the lighthouse and the one of the bird and the one of the, of the boat, the, the sailboat. How did you decide which pictures go with which story? Well, and remember that when I started um, back in 2013, these were all being posted on social media. So uh, for some reason, and I didn't even know what I was doing. I had no clue. I didn't have, I had no, I mean, I'm, I'm self-taught as a photographer, so I haven't taken a single class. I just learned on my own, and then I, would, I learned just enough so that I could attach uh, stories to the pictures because I wanted to give back, and I wanted people to heal from the words that I, that I came up with. And, all, and the words were always inspired by the photograph. And over the years, I posted hundreds and hundreds of stories on social media, and, and a bunch of people out there said, Mike, why don't you compile the, the best of these stories or in some way that might, might get to as many people as possible and do a book, mm. and I said, you know, that's a cool idea. So literally me and my publisher, we went through years of, of posts and photos, and, and, and the way we thought about it is like, okay, so you read the book. You're not, you're not drinking. You're not an alcoholic. You're not whatever. But, you know, there's no. people on all sides of it, and sometimes people just need hope. And so we even toyed about not putting the word sober in the title because a lot of the stories in the book are just, Things about life and, and, and telling yeah. people that they've done something for you and it's about hope and whether you're, you know, suffering from cancer or alcoholism or depression, mm-hmm. hope is hope. And we tried to pick, um, there's 43 pictures and 43 stories. Mm-hmm. And I have a very short attention span and I think a lot of us recovering people do. And so I figured it would have the most power if you had a photo and you had a two or three paragraph story that had some meaning that, so you could walk up to my book, you could open it, you could open to any page and you could get a message just from that page without having to read a 500 page novel, you know? And so I picked the photos and the stories and and with help from other people because I'm the worst judge. I'm very self-critical and Sometimes I completely guess what would be of meaning to somebody else. And so I had friends help me and say, what if you were going to read a book that would cover a lot of different things that would help somebody, what would be the stories that you would pick? And, um, and so that's how we distilled it down to the 43. And I know you had asked, you know, what's the most meaningful one in, in, in the book and probably all time for me is the, is the picture of that little there's a little sanderling sitting on the beach looking out into the vastness of a, a wave breaking. Yep. 
and it's it was early in sobriety when I took that picture, and it was the first time I knew what I was doing with the camera so I could make the picture come out the way I wanted it to. Mm. And I intentionally made the bird who's looking out, I'm, for people that can't see it, obviously, there's a bird looking out into the sea. I, I got it from behind, um, so you can see it's kind of like this yeah. bird's rear end. And I took a picture, and I made him and the stand in focus. The rest of the picture is intentionally blurry and for some reason I I thought about starting over and I said that's me I said I can see me now for the first time in my life and I can see the sand at my feet and as I look out into where I'm going next I it's all blurry it looks beautiful at least I have myself back and I and wherever it takes me and whatever I have to face I know that I at least have some sense of self-love again and 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 I know I can make it, and and so I titled that that story starting over, and it's so mm-hmm. funny, you know, like a woman came into my gallery once, and I had made that into a, a fairly large print, and she walked in and she said, Mike, what's your favorite photo of all time? And I said, You're not going to believe this, but it's that silly bird over there. And she says, You're kidding me. And I said, no, that's, that's it. She says, well, why? And I told her the story about starting over. And she nodded mm-hmm. her head like an understanding, and she left. And about two, <laughs> about two hours later, she comes back into the gallery, and she says, I want to buy that photo. And I said, you really? And she says, yes. And I said, why? And she said, because there was a time when I was starting over, too. And it was a, a really meaningful time for me. And now when I look at that photo, I'm going to think about when I started over and I made it back. And so that's the power of a photograph and a mm-hmm. story. It's yeah. not, you know, you know the, woman, the woman wasn't she wasn't really focused on my story. She remembered a time when she had the same sentiment. And now that photo was mm-hmm. going to mean that for her forever, you know. And that's what makes me happy. That's why I like to do it. It touches people through the words and the photography. I think everyone in the world has a time when they have to start over or thinking about something and starting over that I, that I know. And it's, it's sad. It's scary. Uh, when my sister it's died, scary. I realized that she wasn't coming back and everything I had to do for her family and everything was like I had a second life <laughs> and I had to take, take yeah. care of everything and, and start it over. And it, it, was, it was really sad. And at her funeral, when her miserable person that she was married to said, you're her sister, you should pay for her funeral, I, I, I turned purple. I said, you're really kidding me. And I said, that's okay, because if you can't, can't honor her, I know how to honor her myself. And when it came to giving speeches at her unveiling, I refused to let him participate. I said, if you weren't there for her in life, why should you be there for her now? And you know, I miss my words. Yeah. But the look other at picture. You, you're, and now you're, yeah, you're carrying her spirit forward. And so, despite yeah. all the all the pain you went through, you gained, you know, part of your your program and all that sort of stuff. So it's it, yeah, it, the you're books just I write are. I have a whole series of YA books in her memory. On birth of the fat yeah. kid, I'm not fat anymore. And she's um, Tilly, the gorgeous dancer and everything. And they're true stories, but it, it's fun. And if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't be doing this. Or had been written something because when my mom was diagnosed for Alzheimer's in 2003, I had to retire early, and she said I weigh I weigh 108 pounds. I weighed 250 pounds because I was eating myself wow. into oblivion. And she said, "Either yeah. you're going to be the fattest couch potato, 
well, maybe you should write a book. I said, maybe you shouldn't say that because you're going to be in it. So the, <laughs> the other picture that I love is the one by the water where somebody's walking into the water and it feels like he doesn't know where he's going to wind up. He's like in another journey somewhere. That's the one on page 46. Yeah, that one um, is more towards the end of the book. And um, that was a special story for me. I mean, and there's also another one that you mentioned um, on intimacy, mm-hmm. and that was the one that had the uh, the shells, uh, the shell, uh, you know, in the lighthouse kind of thing. Um, yeah, I like the lighthouse so, too. Yeah, that one. So, I mean, there, there's quite a few different stories that really had a lot of meaning for me. And whether it be, you know, the loss of a pet or loss of, uh, um, you know, family, that kind of stuff. And so I tried to touch on everything that might be of something that would concern, you know, an individual. Because when you, when you create damage and you're coming back, there's all sorts of aspects of your life that are, that are being affected by it. And, um, and so you sort of got to touch base on a lot of, on a lot of different ways and, and with a lot of other different types of people. Um, but the one that you were talking about is, was really just a, a woman that was running along the beach at one point in the fog. And it, it just hit me that, um, you know, that it, there was a, a seagull up on a large rock overlooking and I thought about angels looking down over us and, and it was just a story about a, about when you touch people's hearts, they mm-hmm. sometimes come out of the woodwork, you know. And I was, I was one time I was med flighted to um, Mass General Hospital in Boston, and I, if I didn't get med flighted, I wouldn't be here because I had a bowel perforation and I was going down pretty quickly. And when I arrived, mm-hmm. I just put a little note out on social media saying I'm not going to be taken because people depend on me to post things regularly. I, I mm-hmm. put a little note saying I'm not going to. Uh, be posting for a while. I'm, I'm in trouble. I have a. I'm being flown to Mass General for emergency surgery, and you know. And, and as I was laying there in the bed waiting at Mass General to go into the OR, mm-hmm. a guy came walking in with tattoos and, and a hard hat under his arm, and I was really out of it. And I thought it was it's just so odd. Who it, who possibly could this be? And it was a man that read my note on um, on social media, and he lived near he lived in South Boston near Mass General. And when he heard I had been med flighted there, he was compelled to instead of going home to his family after work. I don't even know this guy. I didn't even know who he was. I had no no idea. We'd never met. And he comes walking into Mass General. He comes up and he says, he says thank you. And I said, excuse me, <laughs> who are you? He said, you, did some, you said some things that helped help me um, uh, go clean on drugs. And I heard you were, going, mm-hmm. you were in trouble here, and I just wanted you to know that I appreciate you. And he, somebody that goes out of their way like that is so extraordinary that, that he put me true. in a place of gratitude. And so I, I call him an angel, and, and that's why that photo you see the yeah. seagull looking at the person running down the beach in the fog, you know, that there are angels. If you do good to other people, the angels come out of the woodwork when you need them, you know. It was a, really an amazing experience. Well, I'm looking at the pictures, and I'm a writing specialist. I work with kids in reading and writing. And I could imagine that if each child took one picture, I wonder what kind of story they would write about what now they Now, you see. got it. Okay, so that's my future. 
that's the future or because see, see photographs <laughs> are, the photographs the photographs are the window to the soul and so we're going to start yeah. in the high schools um there there's uh september of this year september of every year is suicide prevention um month mm-hmm. and we've made a decision here on i'm on martha's vineyard um i hate to say martha's vineyard because everybody thinks we all have like 260 foot yachts sitting out in the front yard but that's not the case <laughs> Uh, but with the high school, we're going to do, we're going to meet with the kids and we're going to do some photography contests where we're going to try to have them use photography as an expressive medium. And you can get through to kids uh, much easier with the photos they take than just in a group therapy session. If you, if you take a, a, a 17-year-old who's struggling from uh, drug addiction, whether it be marijuana or alcohol or, or something harder than that, and you sit them in a in a counseling session, sometimes they just won't say a word. But if you have them go out and do a photographic portfolio of what their life looks like and challenge mm-hmm. them to take really cool pictures that express who they are as people, I, there's been some really cool things that happen when kids go out and try to show who they are and what their life looks like through pictures, both positive and negative. And um, when we do photo contests on the island, we, we, um, we just recently finished a, a contest where we, there's three categories of people. There's kids, less than 10 years old. There's teenagers and then adults. And we ask them, take pictures of what mental health means to you. Mm-hmm. And if I asked you, who comes back year after year with the most powerful photos? The little kids, the teenagers, or the adults? What would you guess? I would think the little kids. Nope. I would the think teenagers. The, the, teen- the teenagers. Well, the teenagers, yeah, but the little kids, you never know what they're going to think. I, I work with no, little they, kids up they, to they, age 12. Yeah, they take really cool little pictures. I mean, you'd be surprised. They're like little mini, mini Ansel Adams. Yeah, but the, the, little kids. The, teen- the teenagers come back with things that show the stress and the problems they face as teenagers. Uh, the, the, I had one, one girl actually took mud and made handprints all over her body, and she oh, had God. someone take a picture so that she could show what it feels like to have somebody touch them against their will. Um, yeah, another, I know what that another, feels like. I know what you're saying. But, she, she, but see, that allowed her to express that. You know, would she have? You know, mm-hmm. would a kid say that normally? But if you give them a camera, suddenly they feel safe expressing some of the things that they have inside that concern them. And so, my mission from this point on is to really, I really want to work with kids in the schools and and, ta- and use photography as an expressive medium um, to allow them to, to to tell their stories. And it's and if they tell their story, it's better than keeping it inside. And um, just kind of the next evolution of what I want to do. I think that that's a phenomenal project. You should have a website with the pictures and everything on it so that I people w- can I, see them. I will. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, you should. And then if there's some specific pictures that you like, we can have them interviewed with you on my radio show. And they can really yeah, find hey, cool. Perfect. <laughs> I, I don't, I, you know what, I don't mind. I, I love doing things that are different. Um, I have a psychotherapist coming on in um, uh, August because we're going to talk about panic attacks because people have them, kids have them, and we talk about other things besides besides books, you know, regular topics too. So, 
Well, tell me, what, what are some things you tell others? You tell others about your journey, but what the chapter that said, what if my life was wrong? How did you come up with that? Because your life might have been wrong then, but it's definitely not wrong now. And a lot no, of people think, that went through you know, your, but, what you went through won't, will usually just give up, and that's great that you didn't. Well, remember, when, I, when all of this fell apart, like right now I'm going to be 64 in September, and I'll be in, in July, July 26th, I'll be 11 years sober. So 11 years ago, mm-hmm. I was 53. And if, if I would have dropped dead of a heart attack before going to rehab, I would have been laying there like the death of a salesman on my mm. deathbed saying my life was wrong. I have I mean I have two kids that were are, are absolutely my greatest accomplishments to have two amazing two amazing kids. Other than that, I felt like my life amounted to just a guy who ended up almost drinking himself to death. And it was a huge fear is to just be put in the ground Mm. And not feel like you you did what you were, you know what whatever it is your calling was that did you you know I don't know we all face that as we get older I think is our is our life had meaning and so I it, it haunted me and and then I had to go go through all the turmoil and agony and come back um, to be able to now say if I drop dead of a heart attack tomorrow let's hope not um, that I feel like people would actually come to my funeral. Does that, I, I mean, I don't want to be morbid about it, but I'm not sure anybody would have come voluntarily. It would have just been family before I went through all of this. And now I feel like, you know, and I, I don't know if that's a good way to measure your life is that people show up at your funeral. But in a way, it's kind of like a surrogate for did you make a difference in the lives of others while you were here? Because in the, in the long run, the only way you live on is in the hearts of the people that you've helped. And um, and left behind, you know. And so I want to leave a legacy, and that reinforces my sobriety because I'm at a stage of life where I don't need to climb the tallest mountain. I don't need to make millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. I don't need to show the world that I'm a success in monetary or other terms. I want to leave a Mm -hmm. legacy. I want to know that I live on in some way in the hearts of the people that I helped, and that's become the most important thing. And so now I don't. I, not my, I know my life wasn't wrong, but I felt it was important to express that in the book, so that hopefully others will know that no matter how down they are, they still have a chance to turn around the way they feel about what their lives mean in the long run. You know? Now I understand what you're saying, but the book itself is your legacy too, by the way. Just in case you didn't know that, it is. It's also, I know what you're saying. But I, I taught for a long time, and you don't know how your students really feel about you until you retire. And yeah, it was funny, yeah. I'm on Facebook, and I won't say when I started teaching, but some of my students from my very first class tagged me and said, if not for you, I'd be in jail. If not for you, I wouldn't be uh, running a boutique in Manhattan in Bridal. One is my foot doctor. Uh, one of them is a, is a black activist. He's great. And one of them calls me Mama, Mama Lewis, because she loves me. I mean, th- that is the greatest feeling to know that these kids that were from a day, you know, bad, tough families turned out to be nurses, doctors, lawyers, 
and everything, and they remind me that it's all my fault. So it makes me feel good. Yeah, and you were in a place in your profession where you were touching the hearts of people. Yeah. Remember, I was a I was a businessman, and I basically was trying to run successful mm-hmm. companies and have them make money and all that sort of stuff. And you can affect the lives of the employees that work for you in a business setting. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, but when your when your focus is more your personal gain than it is the gain of others, it comes across. I mean, even even you know when I when I went down and I got arrested and. For some reason, my employer, well, I know the reason, but my employer didn't fire me even though I had been arrested three times, which is a miracle because I was, I was the COO of a company. And the only reason they didn't fire me is because there was a medical director there that had suffered from the disease of alcoholism as well. And he That's fought well. for me, and he said that I think you might be able to make it if you do all the things you're supposed to do. And so they kept me. And But you know what? As a COO, my focus went from self-interest to helping employees within my company and so I I changed my my mission became you know I be, I actually became a you know it's funny there was there's a lot of employees in every company that suffer from addiction or depression and mm-hmm. they feel like the, the least the least safe place to talk about that is where they work because you know you can't can you imagine you know, working in a hospital and coming into work and saying, oh, mm-hmm. man, I'm, you know, I was out last night. I got, I was so drunk last night. I have the disease of alcoholism. I need help. I mean, no, very few people are going to express that outside of a clinical situation with employee assistance or something. But when they heard what I went through, I had many employees that privately came into my office and said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm recovering from heroin addiction, and I just want you to know that knowing you're becoming open about your addiction, you mean so much to me and that I don't feel ashamed and I don't feel alone mm-hmm. anymore. These are my employees. And so just like you said with the kids, you know, I think people in any profession, if they choose to be open and authentic, they can make a difference in other people's lives regardless of what role they are. Uh, it's just a matter of focus, you know. So the trick is uh, the trick is that a lot of teachers, even now, don't listen. They don't listen, and then they don't see, and they don't hear. You know what yeah, what these what, yeah. these what these kids are saying. And I, I guess I was very very lucky. But I think the most powerful story, powerful thing that happened, was the year before I retired. Was it before that? A boy walked in and he said to me, "I hear you're really good at what you do." And I looked at him and I go, okay, who are you? Where'd you come from? How'd you sneak up at 6? I, mean, I was in school at 6.30 in the morning, working with kids and reading on my own time from 6.30 to 9 o'clock. They didn't have to come in until 9 o'clock. And he said, I really heard you're really good at what you do. And he tells me his name and I go, and you're here, why? To wake me up? Did you bring me coffee? I mean, it was funny. He says, no, I'm here yeah. because they said that you're the only one that's going to teach me how to read. He says, and I'm 12 years old and I can't even tell you what the alphabet looks like. If I wow. tell you that the tears in my eyes, I felt like, oh, my God. I said, who ratted me out and told you that I'm good? And I didn't see there was a whole pack of kids behind them. We did because we yeah, know that you can that help nice? them. It yeah. was, like, so yeah. shocking. And I said, okay, sit down. He sat down, and in 20 minutes he was reading 200 words. I'm serious. By the wow. end of the first month, he was reading on second grade level. At the end of the year, his mother came over to me and said, you know, he's above grade level. I said, that's because he did it. I didn't do anything. He just wanted to do it. So, yeah, you can. 
So one of the pictures that I love is the pictures of the snow. I hate snow, but snow-covered stones make each person alone and anonymous. How come? Because sometimes people feel like they're not here, that they are anonymous. Yeah, they they are, and that that's from the the story about you know about leaving a legacy and not and not yeah. dying with your with your music still in you. I mean. Yeah, I, I, you, if, if anybody's ever listened to Wayne Dyer, you know he obviously has passed away, but his his message was, "Don't die with your music still in you." And 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 so if you're able to express, you know what's what your deepest, you know, um, self, true self, then you know I I mean I I always thought about well, and that picture has has snow covering all the tombstones. Um, and you know, so, sort of suggesting that you know you're, you, maybe you did die with your music still in you, but I I, I just think just that like what, what you just said about yourself. I mean, we talk about what the rewards are in life, and you're you're authentic yeah. and you do your thing, and you carve yourself out, and we all have a chance to be that way. And and, and the more people are, um, the more that they will be, you know, instead of just saying, yeah, he made. He made a lot of money as a chief operating mm-hmm. officer versus he helped a lot of people as a chief operating officer. It's a completely different thing, right? So that that was my goal. And and remember when I when I came back um, from um, the rehab facility, I didn't have a driver's license for two and a half years. I and then eventually I had to blow into a breathalyzer to get the start. I mean, I'm a COO. It was you know. I had a, it's obviously societally embarrassing to, you know, be running a company with a breathalyzer in your car. Uh, mm. it, there was so many things of humility that I had to go through. And, but what it forced me to do was to be open about, about my, my struggle. And, and, I, and the bottom line is, is that we all struggle. And the question is, is how do you struggle? And, and so by being open and authentic, you know it, what? What happened? There was one instance when I so when I got arrested for drunk driving, I actually tried. I had uh, 100 Xanax in a, in a bottle of vodka, and I was going to commit suicide. I, I saw no way out, and I was done. And um, my wife at the time walked in on me, and they ended up sending me to a psychiatric hospital for two weeks. Mm. And the, the medical director there, one day he leaned into me as I was laying in my bed and he said, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to talk to the, your senior administration about not by keeping your position. He said, because I once was you. And he confided in me that he was in recovery. And I, he at one time had a blood alcohol of 600 and was on life support. And he turned his life around, and he says, "If you do what I tell you to do, I'm, you know, you're going to be able to make it too." And just because he was authentic with me, he was willing to come out of his professional role, and he was real, willing to tell me he was like me. Mm-hmm. He he changed my energy in in some way. Uh, and I looked at him, and I thought to myself, "If I ever make it back from this, I'm going to be authentic just like he was." And and mm-hmm. that became my motto is. By being authentic and being your true self, you can help people in ways that you can never you can never imagine. Well, I have a, an odd question. I might, I take notes as I'm doing this, by the way. So this this is a thought. You said before that they, you have pictures people having contests for pictures, you know, all different age groups and stuff. Would you ever yeah. think of taking some of those pictures, having them write stories, and create another book with that? 
You know, that, that's, a, that's a great idea because, in fact, I, I left that out. When they take the pictures, they have to write about what the pictures mean to them. That's what I'm saying, and, yeah. Yeah, and so that's where the, a lot of the power comes from that because I can, you know, you, a picture can be, can be completely misinterpreted of yeah. what the author's intent was. And so these ki- even the little kids wrote little stories about what their picture meant. That's actually a great idea, you know, that you could, you know, I like that idea. You and I are going to go That's in what, on that, that one that, that, is, that is my <laughs> teacher by coming out. I come up with this stuff. I, I come up with stuff for myself sometimes. I don't even realize I'm doing it. Now, my very favorite picture, seriously, is about the man fishing and the importance of this photo to his son. That brought tears to my eyes. That was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, he's he's out um, casting in the uh, in the surf, and a lot of the pictures I took, people didn't even know that I was sneaking around trying to take the pictures of them. Um, and there's also another one about I, I know you. I think you had mentioned I saw in some of the notes that there was a um, a photo of a little a little turkey jumping up in the air trying to test yeah. its wings out. <laughs> I know some of those I thought about my family, um, you know, sometimes you don't have to take majestic pictures of, you know, Yosemite and Yellowstone to be able to communicate a message. Sometimes it's a mama turkey walking down the street with two little, two little turkeys behind it. And then suddenly one of them kicks up in the air and fly, tries to fly its wings just to see, Hey, can I do this as a little, as a little thing, you know? And if you can capture that with a camera, though, it, you know, it becomes something that's really powerful. And that's, that's what's so amazing about photography, you know. Now, I'm looking at page 99. What did the author, the artist's statement, what did he have to say about this book, the artist itself? Well, me, I mean, I, I think, you know, that's basically the artist statement was meant to convey what, what I see, see people sometimes misunderstand um, like photography if, if so when people hear the word photography they assume someone goes out a professional photographer goes out searches for amazing pictures and then when you capture them um, you know you can sell a picture in your gallery and I and I do that uh, but I, I have people that say to me all the time um, I want to come out and go take pictures with you and because we want to see what you do how you make this happen how you mm-hmm. how you uh, create these kinds of things what 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 is it but so I sit there and I hear them and I say no you don't <laughs> you don't want to come with me and they say well what do you mean I said because it's because you want to know what I do I go out and usually, and in the beginning, it was mainly because I just wanted to connect with some, you know, instead of sitting in 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 your house watching Wheel of Fortune, contemplating drinking alcohol when you're first in sobriety, my camera would pull me out the door and say, "Wow, look at this whole! I never knew this existed." And, and I could, I would go out to beaches and meet people, and and I would see things and feel connected to a spiritual energy that I never knew existed. And so, mm-hmm. when I go, I sit. And I close my eyes often, and I'll feel the breeze and the mm-hmm. air, and I'll just meditate, and I'll, I might sit there for an hour. And then suddenly stuff happens, and you notice things you wouldn't have noticed otherwise. If, you're, if your whole goal was just to go out and take an, a really good picture versus going out and connecting to nature, spirit, whatever you want to call it, 
you'll run out of gas really quick. There's, there's a whole group of photographers here on Martha's Vineyard that have stopped. Uh, they, were, they, they would go out and take pictures, and then pretty soon they'd get frustrated and say, all I do is take the same pictures of the same stuff over and over again. I'm not going to do this anymore. And you, you can just see them sort of fade in terms of posting things on social media and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. Because their goal is to take pictures of new things. My goal is to connect to spirit. And when you go out and you do that, it's kind of like a bad day of fishing. It's better than a good day at work. And if, if you're out there just to be in con- conscious contact with what you consider to be spiritual energy or whatever you want, then the photos take care of themselves, and it never gets old. And so what I tried to put in my artist statement is that it's more of a meditative process. I mean, I'm not like a Vogue photographer. I look at these people and say, what is it you think you're going to see when we go out together? I'm not going to be like jumping around all over the place taking fashion photography. I'm just sitting there quietly, you know, in in ways that I never knew before. And it's kept me sober because life is really beautiful if you take the time just to sit and experience it. And I wanted people when they read the artist statement to know that the purpose isn't just to take a really cool picture. The purpose mm-hmm. is to connect with other people through the pictures you take. And it completely changes your frame of reference. Um, well, I'm not sure if that even I wrote my sense, book. This came out on Saturday. It's very different. It's called Population Zero. It's a world without people. And I a world without a world people, yeah. Without people. It's exactly stories about the end of the world, but I told them I wanted a world without people. And I created these worlds that no one would want to live in. And then I invited a dead spirit to come back and experience it and live in the world that I created. And at the end, they said, would you want to live in this one or are you going to start making peace and doing better in the one we have and starting appreciating yeah. it? Yeah. I, yeah, I got some cool flack and I got some really good reviews. And I said, you know what? With this pandemic and the way I see people walking outside and so mean and so cruel, I mean, this morning, we're not, we're, I wear a mask in the elevator. And this lady came yeah. in, and she said she was wearing a mask in the elevator. I usually don't let people in, but I knew she was vaccinated. And I said, you couldn't stand over there. I don't like standing next to people, but she blessed me for letting her come in the elevator. She wanted to be late for work. And, you know, you, you just don't know sometimes, you know, what, about people. But, yeah. So my question, last question is this. How did you create the cover of the book because the right side looks like one face and the left back looks this left side looks like it has another face on it there are two faces so, there. Do, yeah do you rem- so that that cover was chosen intentionally because of um the way that those rocks were formed i are you familiar yeah. with uh, the old man of the mountain up in new hampshire when it when it existed yeah, yeah and eventually the rock face uh, I mean, the state of New Hampshire had that granite face as its, you know, um, logo for its license plates and pretty much everything in the state. And then one, it was shaped in the face of almost like an Abraham Lincoln kind of uh, figure. Mm-hmm. And then one day the whole thing collapsed, and the whole state was in almost in mourning over a, a rock face that had fallen off the side of a cliff because there was such an identity with that for the state. The 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 cover of my book. The rocks that are standing weren't there 12 years ago when I first came to the island. It was a mm-hmm. whole cliff. And then with the waves of the ocean and the rainwater pounding over the years, all of the clay and the mud um, washed away. 
and the only thing left standing were these two sandstone rock figures. And I looked at that, and I said, you know what, that's a lot like me, that 12 years ago, Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, I didn't exist, and I had to be pounded by the disease of alcoholism to wash all the mud away um, so that I could show up. And, And then, though, Eventually, eventually, over the next four years, those rocks, if you were to see the, those storms that were pounding those rocks that were now standing alone, they also became a symbol of perseverance that not only am I here now, but while I'm here, I'm going to show that I'm strong. And then, unfortunately, a year ago, the rocks that you see on the cover of the book collapsed. Mm. And it was kind of like the old man of the mountain in New Hampshire where those of us on Martha's Vineyard that had identified with the strength and perseverance and, you know, it's suddenly that symbol was gone. But in reality, you know, that's the way it is with all of us. And you're and, and basically that, that cover it is in the hearts of the people that knew that that existed, that whole symbolism mm-hmm. around perseverance still lives on. And I, and I said, you know what, that's what I want for me. Let's face it, you and I are eventually going to collapse into the sea, and, and the only way we're going to live on is by the people we've touched along the way. And, and so I'm, I really am happy that that was the book cover because it was symbolic of my life, of um, being non-existent until I went through trauma. About um, two months ago, I gave a program to the people at the Grammy Awards, um, mm. the Music Hairs, the Music Hairs group. And it was on post-traumatic growth. And it's, it's a, I got my master's in psychology and I studied, it's, it's, the, it's, not, it's the, kind of the opposite of PTSD. Mm-hmm. When you are challenged and have your life that you previously knew washed away due to trauma, um, people who face that trauma can change in ways they could have never achieved without going through the trauma. And so I encourage people, maybe as a final point, is is that you can never say to somebody, well, I'm glad you went through that trauma because now you have a chance to be an entirely new person. You can't say that. But there are people that have suffered that have an opportunity to start over and create a world that they would have never known unless they had gone through it, you know. And so that's kind of the symbolism for the cover. So where where can we find out more about you and your work? Where can everybody learn about you? Yeah, if they if they go on, uh, you know, I know everybody's a big Facebook fan, but I have um, a large following on Facebook, and it's BlanchardFacebook.com, uh, Blanchard Photo. And then my website is BlanchardPhotoMV, as in Martha's Vineyard.com. Mm-hmm. And through a, so- through a Sober Lens is on Amazon. Um, they can just search on that term. And uh, it's the only Through a Sober Lens out there, so you can't miss it. And uh, I also have a second book called Fighting for My Life, and that book is available on Amazon as well. That is really great. That is amazing. So it's beautiful outside, but it's about 100 degrees. No, it's about well, 97, 98 degrees out there. I don't know. I think Martha's Vineyard sounds a whole lot better than this. But You're I want to thank welcome, you Fran. so much. <laughs> and when you write the next book, make sure I get it. Seriously? You got it. And I'm going to, you know what, and, you touched you, me with that thought about, I want I want to have those kids actually, we might end, I might call you again. We might want to put a book together with guess. photos and words from kids. Yep. <laughs> that would be fantastic. And yes, and I would love to have them. I'll, I'll find a date. 
I'm booked through the end of November, but I'd make time because for kids, right. any any single time, they need to they need to know that they have a right. Their their voices need to be heard, and that's the problem with a lot of educators today. Oh, be quiet! I, I loved hearing what they had to say. And, of course, I love when they say, you know, I, I don't know if you got that right. I go, of course I think I got it wrong. I was waiting to see if you got it right. Waiting to see if I realized <laughs> I got it wrong on purpose. It was hilarious. I mean, you just never knew what they were going to come out with, and I loved every one of them. So thank you so much. Stay safe, everybody. Um, be careful. Um, if you're not vaccinated, that's up to you, everybody, but I am, and, yeah. And I still worry about getting the virus. You have to still wear a mask. I still wear a mask outside because I don't trust anything. But, Michael, thank you so much. Everybody have a beautiful day, and bye. All right. Pleasure. Thank you.